If this is your first time uh, with us, I want to say welcome. Um, we uh, are a church that seeks to follow the, w the way of Jesus for the good of Westchester. And so very specifically, uh, we're going to be entertaining this, exploring this, and hopefully being shaped by God's word and spirit to become that type of church even more thoroughly this coming fall. Because this fall, we're going to be working our way through the gospel of John. And John's Gospel, it's very fascinating. It's a book that is rich with theology. That as you go through this Gospel, you have this clear understanding of who Jesus is. But it, you are also being um, shaped by God's Word as well. And it's a story that, that has... It's a gospel that has a very unique beginning. It says, like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But just go back to in the beginning. It's a, it's a gospel that really retells history, and it helps us understand that Jesus is linked to creation. And as you, the, the, that little prologue goes in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. Then you see that, in the, and the light has come into the darkness. And so I want to just like highlight um, our worship guide. Um, you will notice that there's a leaf that's drawn on that worship guide. And that was actually drawn for us by a friend of the church, um, Crystal Young. And this is what she wrote about her artwork. And this is on the inside of your worship guide. Sunlight illuminates a leaf's veins, infusing them with the energy it needs to grow. And this process parallels Jesus' work of illuminating and speaking truth to our deepest needs. In the opening chapter of this gospel, John has a lot to say about light. That light comes into this world and into this darkness. Light is truth. It displays all things in powerful honesty. And yet this light is also grace upon grace. This light is life because this light is a person. Jesus. In this gospel, we see light in action, and we watch as Jesus reaches through people's facades, questions, and accusations, illuminates their souls, and offers life-giving nourishment. That's a very clear picture of what Jesus does in this gospel. And so we're going to be considering just how Jesus does this over the next few weeks. Like So specifically today, we're going to be looking at Jesus and your questions. And this is going to be coming from John 1. So if you would open up your worship guides, or you can follow along on the wall behind me. We're looking at John 1, verses 35 through 53 to the end of the chapter. So this is John 1, 35 to the end of the chapter. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Friends, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your incredible gospel, and we pray now that as we look at your word, that we would see your word for our lives this day, and that we, we would be shaped by your love, by your grace, by your spirit, and your word for your work in this world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. One out of five Americans do not believe in any God of any sort. 30%, that's 3 out of 10, 30% of Americans say they are unaffiliated with any religion. So they will check none on surveys, and hence the religious nuns. See, people are skeptical, but specifically when you come to the Christian faith, people are skeptical of the Christian faith. At first glance, as you read through the Gospels, it's actually very easy to believe that Jesus was a real historical person. Jesus' life and his, his teachings are actually well documented, both within Scripture, but also outside of Scripture as well. And so it's actually very easy for us to believe, if, like it's very easy for people to believe, without any Christian faith commitment whatsoever, that Jesus died upon the cross. But what is outlandish, what is audacious about Christian belief is even, goes even further. Because Jesus claimed to be God. That Jesus, with his death, he said that his death accomplishes something. That Jesus' death reconciles you to God. That's what Jesus is saying. That Jesus says that I have come so that you would have joy. I have come so that you would be set free. These are audacious claims. That Jesus says that, hey, I have the power to forgive sins. And what does he say? And even people around him are like, hey, who is this that has, who pretends to have this authority that only God can do? And Jesus says that, so that you will know that I have the power to say this, rise, get up and walk. And he heals blind people. He heals people. See, the Christian faith is full of, of audacious claims. That Christians even say that one man came back from the dead and that because of his resurrection, we have e eternal life because of everything he has accomplished. 
And so as we look at this passage here in John 1, these verses help us understand a few things. These verses help us understand what to do with our questions, what to do with our skepticism. Because as we will see in this passage, questions are a good thing. Questions are a good thing. That Jesus even says and offers this invitation over and over again. He says, come and see or follow me. And so as what, one of the things that we'll be seeing is that following Jesus can never be a theory. Following Jesus is not some abstract idea. It's actually very practical and involves our everyday life. So what do we see? What do we learn about Jesus and your questions here? So how I want to do this is we have these two stories about people meeting Jesus. And I want us to think about these two encounters first, and then we'll see their questions. So the first point for you, for you to consider is these two meetings. And these are there are two specific meetings that men have with Jesus within our story. And the first is in verses 35 to 42. It happens around 4 p.m. of one day. It's around the 10th hour after sunrise. And to just kind of rehash the story a little bit, John who was actually Jesus' cousin, he was pointing to Jesus saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And if you know John's ministry, his entire ministry is one of a herald, or perhaps an announcer, a forerunner. He, his entire job is to prepare the way for Jesus, to basically point to him and say, That is the Lamb of God. So even later on, uh, when pretty much all of John's disciples were leaving John to go after Jesus, the, the loyal followers of John said, aren't you a little bit jealous? And John says, he must increase and I must decrease. And so it's in one of those moments where Jesus comes by John for perhaps the first time or the second time, and John just says, hey, that's the Lamb of God. And so upon hearing John say, that's the Lamb of God, two of his disciples, one of them is Andrew, just go after him and follow him. And they're just walking after him. And then I really like how the text just puts it in there, that verse 38, Jesus turned. That they just started following Jesus, and Jesus just turned to see them there. It's like, what do you want? It's like, and what is their answer? Where are you staying? Where are you staying? And so Leslie Newbegin points this something out in his commentary on this passage. That Leslie points out that this is just a mere request. Like, hey, where are you from? What is your address? Like, like, where are you staying? But there's actually a question beneath the question. But as he says, Leslie says, that we shall see that the goal of all human seeking is that we want to know where Jesus is staying if you look at John 4, John 15, John 14, John 15, John 16, that Jesus says that he abides in the Father and the disciples abide in Jesus. That Greek word for where, where your residence and abiding is actually the same word. And so where are you abiding is actually, that's a question. And Jesus actually understands something about this question. That there is a question beneath the question. They don't just want to know where is he, he's staying they want to know, they are asking for a true heart question that comes from the depths of their hearts, that they're longing to be with God. And so how does Jesus respond to that? It's simple. 
He doesn't get into, he doesn't even provide an answer. He doesn't say, oh, I'm from Nazareth or I'm going to Cana. Nope. He just basically says, come and see. That's Jesus' answer. And that's important, as we'll see in a second. But the second encounter, the second meeting, is verses 43 to 51. It's the very next day. And this is after Andrew goes to find his brother Peter. But the second meeting is when Jesus finds a man named Philip. And his command is an invitation that he says to Philip. He says, follow me. And so at this moment, it's worth pointing out that Jesus is behaving like a rabbi that the world has never seen before. Jesus is, is acting in a very unique way for any teacher or leader of a school. See, in that historical moment, if you wanted to study on, under a rabbi, it would be a very similar thing to, for you to apply to a college. You are the one who goes out and researches what are the best schools, what is the best program, who have the best teachers. You, that's what you do in our world today. You go and find the best school that will help you. Or, like, there's an attraction of personalities. I want to learn under you. But what Jesus is actually saying, he's, he flips that. He is actually the one going after. He is the one who is recruiting. He is the one who is actually saying, hey, you, sh you're, you, you applied. You just don't know it, and you should come and follow me. So Jesus is actually being the one who goes after them. And this actually helps us understand something even further in the next few verses. And so as we think about these, these two meetings, we're going to begin to think about their questions. And this is very clear for us in verses 43 on, because Philip goes to find his brother Nathaniel, and he says that we have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. How does Nathaniel at this point respond, though? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, commentators at this point are, can, can't really agree what's going on with Nathaniel. Uh, perhaps at the very uh, superficial level that Nathaniel's just simply being uh, prejudiced because Nazareth is a backwater town. It's a little, it has no significance. The, most, the only reason why Nazareth is on the map is because Jesus is from there. It, it's just a little village in the middle of nowhere. So perhaps there is some prejudice like that. But it's, perhaps there could actually be some like small town rivalry going on. Um, you don't know this until later on in like John 20 or John 21. But Nathaniel is from the, the village of Cana, which is actually the very next chapter, which we'll look at next week. Cana and Nazareth are 10 miles apart. So actually, the point is that Nathaniel knew about Nazareth. And, and so perhaps he was making some small town rivalry, kind of saying like, oh, here's Philadelphia versus the Cowboys or Philadelphia versus the Giants or Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Cleveland Clowns type attitude. It could be getting into that or the Flyers versus Pittsburgh. Perhaps it's like the, that type of small town rivalry. And if you're from Cleveland, I apologize. But there is actually something else to flesh out here. Um, there's something else to flesh out here. You don't actually see this initially in, at this point from learning from Matthew. It's actually something you learn from Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, I have saw, seen you under a fig tree. That entire phrase, under a fig tree, is, is actually a re in reference or an allusion to 
his interests into his perhaps even job that he wanted to do. That is a phrase that basically this is under a fig tree. If you sat under a fig tree, you were a theologian. You were one who was studying Torah. And so if, and if that's what the dynamic that's going on here, because all the commentators actually say that Nathaniel is a theologian. So perhaps Nathaniel is actually saying, are you trying to trick me right now? We all know that the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem and not Nazareth. That's perhaps what he's, he's, he's doing right there. And so at this point, there are all, there, like he asks this question. My point is, we have no idea what is going on beneath this question of, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But at this point, Philip, what does he say? Come and see. Where have we seen this before? You saw it like 24 hours earlier, not even 24 hours. It was just the the, the verses before, that this is actually what Jesus says to Andrew and the other person. He says, come and see. So right now, I just want to point out that he is simply rehearsing, reusing Jesus' own words, that, that Philip does not try to prove Jesus or justify Jesus. He doesn't even go on to say, like, hey, he's he has... Caught my heart, and I am chasing, and I'm going to follow him. He doesn't say that. He just says, fault, come, and see. That's all he does. That's a very beautiful picture of discipleship, actually, of what it looks like for you to follow Jesus Christ. It's where you internalize Jesus' words and speak them. And so as you think about this, just to highlight, to prove this even further, and this has to do with our, our skepticism, that Philip does not try to prove Jesus. He does not push he, the Nathaniel. He's, he's not even dismissive or blows him off. He says, let's pursue your question. Let's pursue your question. And he invites him to come alongside with him. And so this is actually where we learn something about healthy skepticism. Because the healthy version of skepticism actually asks questions. It's curious. This skepticism, the asking of questions, it's necessary. It's necessary. Because skepticism, this healthy version of it at least, preserves the distinction between blind faith, and, which is just foolish credulity, and genuine faith. Because your questions, what this means is that your questions are a very legitimate starting point for you to begin an exploration to Jesus or Christianity. But what this also means is that you, while your questions are the, the, a very legitimate starting point, they cannot, nor can they ever, have the last word. Skepticism is not meant to have the last word. That is no longer healthy. In order for you to learn, you actually have to listen, you have to hear, you have to entertain and consider what Jesus' answer to your question is. And so just understand, this is very different from how our culture talks about skepticism or how our culture weaponizes doubts against the Christian faith. Because our culture uses skepticism as a reason to check out and simply dismiss belief. That if you have doubts, it's, this is what our culture says, that if you have doubts, it's just okay to just say, hmm, I'm going to consider them. I don't consider the Christian faith. 
I have my questions. I'm just going to dismiss the Christian faith. But the way of Jesus is actually very different. He says, let's pursue your questions. Let's consider them. Let's actually pursue the answers that are important to you. But even as Jesus does that, as we even see, saw this just briefly, like where are you abiding? There are questions beneath our questions, and we aren't even aware of them. But you know who is? Jesus. What's the second? What's the, actually the, the, yeah, what's the second question that Nathaniel asks of Jesus? How do you know me? How do you know me? Again, this is where we're beginning to see that Jesus is a different person. He is unique. And so let's think about what it means to actually follow Jesus here. Because what's going on with Nathaniel, his skepticism does not prevent him from coming and seeing. It's not preventing him from coming and seeing. And so, like, actually what goes on, what is about to happen is that Jesus offers some of the highest points of praise that any Israelite could ever receive, that could ever be offered, because Jesus actually honors those who follow him. And so this is where we're thinking about following Jesus and being honored by him. Because when you follow Jesus, he honors you. How have we seen this in our passages thus far? Like, so he honors... um, Andrew and his brother, actually Andrew's brother. Andrew goes and tells his brother, Simon. He says, hey, we have found, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is verse 42. And so Simon comes to meet Jesus for the first time. And Jesus looks at him. And he says something. But right there I want to highlight something that, that Jesus does. That he just looks at him. Again, Jesus knows you. Nathaniel actually voices that question, how do you know me? And so Jesus, looking at Peter, there's no other conversation recorded for us. He gives him a nickname. And what's his nickname? Rocky. It's Peter, Simon Peter. But it's Rocky. That's how we need to understand it. And that should mean something to us in Philadelphia right now. And so he says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I just want to highlight, like on day one of Peter following Jesus, Jesus gives him a nickname. Think about how nicknames are used within your own life. Now, nicknames can be used to really tear someone down if you're bullied and such. But also nicknames can be words of love and empowerment. That's incredible. So if you think like just as, if you think about um, like one example could just be if someone says, hey, you, like that, the, that team over there, those underdogs, they're like the 300. Nothing's going to get past them. That's the, that's the idea that's, go, that could be, that's, that's going on. That nicknames can be endearing and empowering. So that's one way that Jesus honors his disciples, the disciple Peter. He also honors Nathaniel. going on. Like verse, looking at verse 47, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. To actually understand this, like we need to go jump ahead. But this is truly some of the highest praise an Israelite could get. And jumping ahead, actually. Uh, verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So t- taking a step back, there are th- the, the patriarchs of the, the Israelite nation. There's Abraham. There is Isaac. There's Jacob. And Jacob is properly understood as the father of the Israelite nation because his sons 
are the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And so, but what is Jacob's name that the Lord gives him? He says, you are Israel. But that is an important name change. When you think about the word Jacob, Yaakob, that means the one who usurps, one who deceives, that Jacob stole his birthright from Esau. He is a deceiver. And God, like this is an incredible story of redemption. It's an incredible story of love that God rescues and renames and restores Jacob. And that is seen in being renamed. But then there's another passage that Jacob is running away for fear of his life. And he falls asleep and he has this vision. And it's, he sees heaven open down and angels arising and going, descending and ascending. And Jesus alludes to that. The point that I'm making here is that the true Israelites, that, that Jesus is looking at Nathaniel and saying, you are a true Israelite, even more than Jacob. That's an incredible compliment that Jesus can honor him with. And so, and so even he's noticing something about Nathaniel's heart, that Nathaniel is actually in, in pursuing truth. And so Nathaniel's like, how in the world do you know me? We haven't even had a conversation yet, and you see right through me. See, the, Jesus honors his disciples. He honors the person behind the questions. And that is because of who Jesus is. All along, this is actually a very powerful passage when that on day one, the disciples understood something very significant about Jesus' life and his ministry that Andrew says to his brother, we have found the Messiah. And that Andrew being told by John that this is the Lamb of God. And then to even continue even further, that this is the one about whom Moses and the prophets spoke about. But then as Nathaniel hears Jesus speak into his life and sees right through him, he says this, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. See, Jesus is this incredibly unique person in all of human history. And that is because he is one who is fully God and fully man. He has come to, into this world to rescue us, to redeem us from our sins. Because the Lamb of God went, goes to the cross to rescue us from our sins. That is what Jesus came for, to rescue us, to make all things new, to bring about God's rule. And that, that's on day one, these disciples are actually beginning to comprehend that this man that they are going to follow, this rabbi, is one who is unique and significant in their lives. Now, if you keep going into the Gospel of John, we'll see some other dots connected for us. And I'm pulling this from Leslie Newbegin, and he highlights that Nathaniel means the gift of God. And there's this other dynamic that, as you, as we, that we'll see as we, we keep going for, further into John, where Jesus actually says that all the disciples, all those that follow him, are actually given to him by God. To put it in a different way, the followers of Jesus, and this includes you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are the Father's gift to the Son. What we are going to see is that this community that is being built and, and formed around Jesus is this beautiful new family. 
but it's one where, yes, we are honored because we are loved, because Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us on the sin, uh, <laughs> dies for us, he takes care of our sin and dies for us on the cross, and we are forgiven. And so what we have seen in this passage is exactly what happens with you, that Jesus looks on you, he calls you by name, and he honors you because he loves you. So the invitation of this passage is this. Bring your questions. Bring your doubts. And as you follow Jesus Christ, you'll actually find that you have been asking the wrong questions because you have even deeper questions that you aren't even aware of. But he is. And that is because he is fully God and fully man. And he sees right through us. Let's pray.